<laughs> All right. Happy Father's Day for you fathers out there. That includes you, David. Yes. Do you want to uh, spend some time with your Faja? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, fathers. A good father fathers. can have a profound impact on their children for the rest of their lives. So good on you to you good fathers out there who are at least, you know, trying, right? Trying to do what you can to be a good influence and appreciate you guys. Ah, we're going to talk about a little scripture twisting today, Dave, and uh, well, outright scripture fabrication, but what else is new? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, just scripture twisting. Otherwise, the acronym from that would be JST, Joseph Smith Translation. Uh-oh, with a complete misuse of the word translation, but we're used to that. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, we're going to go through a little history of that and go through examples of what Joseph did and where it's, I don't know, kind of the story behind it, where it's come today, what it means, what it reveals to us, I guess, about other aspects of this guy or what it confirms to us about some of what he was trying to accomplish. Before we jump into that, Dave, let's kick the episode off with a little bit of LDS Uh, it never gets old. All right. You know, all you got to do is type in LDS Church News in Google, and these few things come right up, at least as of the time of recording this episode. First off, Jowls was put in the hospital a few days ago after, quote-unquote, several days of illness. I don't know if you caught that one, Dave. Yep. And then, it's funny... With that placement in the hospital, where people's minds are likely to go quickly at this point in time, and so they had to add the little tidbit there, by the way, this is not COVID-19 related. Okay. And then, just a day ago here, I guess yesterday, Holland released from the hospital. So there you go. So nothing too traumatic i suppose terminal no no information really revealed of course they don't have to you've got hipaa and personal you know that's personal information as far as why you were in the hospital etc so interesting and then we have a couple that came up from jana rice and you know i've mentioned jana or jana i don't even know how to pronounce her name is it rice or reese who knows <laughs> i don't know and Dave, this first one blew my mind because it makes me think either she listens to our podcast or one <laughs> of her friends listens to our podcast and told her about it. Because you recall what we did our episode on last week, yes. idolatry in the church. Mm -hmm. And Jana Rice, Salt Lake Tribune, title of the article, When Mormons Make an Idol of the Church. Wow. I'm not shitting you. What the hell? <laughs> that That is interesting. I wonder if she listens. Yeah. If you listen, Possibly. Jenna, call out to you and contact us. We'd love to have you on the program here and pick a topic and talk through it with you. I will say, as I've said in prior episodes, that I'm not super, super impressed with the fact that you haven't left the church. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But you're openly criticizing the brethren, the prophets, seers, and revelators who you believe, if you're a believing member, receive revelation from God to lead this church and make the major decisions in the church, and yet you disagree with them on a regular basis in your columns, outright criticizing the church at times or the decisions that its leaders make, and yet you won't leave the church. But hey, I guess until you are disciplined, quote-unquote, or disfellowshipped or excommunicated, 
maybe you can use that as a little leverage to get more readership. I don't know. Sounds pretty harsh, but you're pretty harsh against some people in your article here. <laughs> when Mormons make an idol of the church, just some little tidbits. She starts out, I regularly get messages from Orthodox Latter-day Saint readers who take me to task for continuing to use the word Mormon in my writing. I've discovered that it's not particularly helpful for me to explain, though I have certainly tried, that a national media outlet that covers all religions, not just one, will continue to use the established terminology that readers already know and expect. It's the terminology that the church itself pushed pretty heavily until less than two years ago, and language does not change overnight. And I would agree 100% with that, Jana, except that the prophet himself said, stop using the fucking word Mormon, and you're not listening. (laughs) (laughs) And your job doesn't give you an excuse to not follow the prophet. But wait a minute, I'm a liberal representing these liberal Mormon ideas, and I say again, there are no liberal Mormons, Jana. If you're liberal and you don't agree with everything the brethren say, you're not a Mormon. (laughs) Just leave. That's the point. You can't have it both ways. You can't disagree with some things and agree with others and believe that it's the quote-unquote only true and living church in the universe. You can't reconcile those two things. Just leave. Anyway... Back to it. She pointed out another thing that I thought was kind of funny. And Dave, I think you may have seen this as well. So somebody went around the BYU campus, I believe at Provo, and put a big X over Brigham Young's statue and wrote racist at the bottom in spray paint. Did you see that? No. uh All right. Well, interesting, huh? Kind of bold. BYU campus. They also put a big X over Abraham O. Smoot administration building and want the campus to rename the building after someone who wasn't a racist. (laughs) I just thought that was interesting. Was Brigham Young a racist? Oh, my God, was he a racist? Yes, he was. And many other terrible things, actually. Not somebody to be proud of. Or use as an icon or build an idol, a statue, (laughs) on a campus. Yes, interesting indeed. That's all I had for Church of the News today. And we're going to swing it right over to you, Dave, with a little bit of For Your Information. All right, where did we leave off? 1925. All right. Okay, what the hell's wrong with the my Urim and Thummim? Uh oh. Is it dark? Got a smudge. It's got a smudge on it. Oh, little Windex. Yeah. God damn it, Moroni. (laughs) Moroni? What's he have to do with it? Yeah. Oh, is he the one? The only one that I will allow to clean him. Oh, okay. I am not going to talk anymore about the topic of Moroni cleaning your two small balls glow okay thank you that's between him and i thanks a lot all right 1925 january 21st grand lodge of utah officially prohibits mormons from membership in any of its masonic lodges think of the irony of that How backward, what the hell, Mormonism in large measure came out of masonry. Yeah, especially the temple ordinances, yeah. And now they won't let Mormons in their lodges. That's just funny (laughs) as hell. Uh, I wonder if it's almost like a backlash of, hey, you guys stole all of our shit, and you said it was from your own revelation. I'm not going to let you steal any more of our shit. Yeah, possibly, sure. Okay, March 4th. This is a kind of a big deal. The first missionaries enter the church missionary home and preparatory training school in Salt Lake City for a week of instruction. Oh, okay. 
This week-long instruction continues until greatly expanded in 1978. Interesting. So I didn't know that they expanded it into something closer to what we would see today back in 78. That was the Kimball era, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 78, Revelation on the Priesthood. Uh, it was six weeks long for those that were English-speaking missionaries in, a, uh, what, two or two months or yeah, more? Something like that. foreign language missionaries? Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. I think it was two to three months, yeah. Okay, I'm going to read a, an excerpt from, uh, again, 1925, and then jump down to 1926 and put these two things together. April 4th. Heber J. Grant warns the general priesthood meeting against Ku Klux Klan and remarks, It is beyond, beyond my comprehension how people holding the priesthood will want to associate themselves with the Ku Klux Klan or any other similar organization. Now, go down to September 14, 1926. Mm -hmm. First Presidency, again, Heber J. Grant, reaffirms that Temple ordinances should not be performed for people who had any Negro blood in their veins. Oh, well, uh, he's showing consistency, yeah. right? Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. What the hell? Okay, back to 1925, May 22nd, Deseret News editorializes in favor of the, Utah law, the, the new, new Utah law, which legalizes horse racing and paramutual betting. Legislature has appointed Brigham F. Grant as chair of Racing Commission. He is the manager of Deseret News and brother of church president. Wow. Hey, bro, would you go take care of those horse races? <laughs> and, and bet bet on Bellflower in the ninth for me, okay? Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Crazy shit. Wow. Okay. So wait, you know, we ought to make a list at some point, Dave, of all the, what are those types of industries called again? The name just totally escaped me. Betting. Pros prostitution I mean. and betting. And yeah, we ought to make a list of all those kinds of businesses that the church was involved in at one time or another. That's well, great. The Lord needs money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mean, come on. Yeah. All right, the end of 1926. This is just off the fucking wall here. October 3rd, Counselor Anthony W. Ivins tells conference that the measurements of the Great Pyramid of Giza foretell the LDS Church in 1830 and the start of the Great War in 1914. What? The okay, yeah, the measurements... <laughs> Of the Great Pyramid. Now, there are, oh, I don't know, dozens of theories about what those measurements contain. And there are some very interesting numbers. But holy hell, really? <laughs> Foretelling the church's organization in 1830? Oh wow, what a God. stretch. Hey, if you add them this way and subtract this and multiply by that, Dave, it gives you this number, which is the date. Like, you couldn't do that with any numbers. <laughs> Yeah, any, anything. Any, whatever, man. You, okay. you just start with 1830 and then work backwards, basically. <laughs> oh, my God. God. I can't right. believe that that got even written into an article. Oh, my God. Okay. 1927. Here we go with a little more Israel nation fascination. Oh. Heber J. Grant says, There is no other people in the world that has a kindly a feeling toward the Jews, as do the Latter-day Saints. Oh, my God. That sounds like Orrin Hatch's quote that we gave yeah. many episodes ago. Yeah. And uh, let's let's end on this one. Or This is interesting. We were talking about the RLDS Church this morning. Mm -hmm. This is January 1928. Frederick M. Smith, RLDS president, supervises the disinterment of his martyred grandfather and granduncle, Joseph and Hiram Smith, from coffinless burial place kept secret since 1844. Wow. Uh, I don't think there was much left of their bodies. Wow. So they buried They're... them in a secret place without coffins. Right. And he oversees them exhuming the bodies and I guess moving them 
I don't even know where they are. They are reburied in coffins, one on each side of Emma Hale Smith Bitterman next to the mansion home in Nauvoo. Well, there they are. Okay. All right. Okay. And well, alongside that with early church history and going back to New York and all of the early stuff, February 6th, the first presidency approves $50,000 for the purchase of the Hill Camorra. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's sacred because yeah. of the book that was buried there that no one ever saw Mm-mm. and was never used in the translation of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Uh, that's but the hill, the, the hill is significant. We need to own it. Incidentally, yeah. as you look at the Freiburg pictures of all the dead guys laying around the hill... No bones have ever been found in that area. I mean, I hate to rain on archaeological parades, as it were. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> whoops, there's no evidence at all, folks. But yeah, that's funny. And the hill, God, over time, if you look at it now, uh, it's like more of a rise. <laughs> it's been lowered yeah. and lowered through the years of different groups digging and plowing and whatever yeah so interesting that was the last one Dave that was it for this week yeah okay well as always interesting stuff i just can't believe it it's funny well funny in a sick way i guess the obvious racism right that that was prevalent in the church for a long long time still prevalent in the membership statistics if you want to look at it from that perspective except in certain countries obviously where they're predominantly people of color like africa what are we talking about today we're talking about twisting some scriptures and adding to them etc so let me give a little history here of the joseph smith translation of the bible i'll read through this quickly it's not really long. I think it's a great synopsis of kind of what happened here. So while translating the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery, this is from the church website, by the way, it's uh, church history topics, restoration and church history topics. Joseph and Oliver found they held different views on the meaning of a passage in the Bible. Uh Uh-oh. They, quote, mutually agreed to settle the question by the Urim and Thummim. So Oliver said, Joseph, let's play with our balls to get the answer here. And Joseph said, that sounds good to me. As a result, Joseph received a revelation. They should have a little footnote on that word. (laughs) By revelation, we mean something a little different than what the dictionary definition is. Received a revelation giving the translation of an account by the ancient disciple John written on parchment but lost to history. So, folks, it doesn't go into that here in detail, but the account is basically he has this vision of a scroll that the disciple John wrote about things that happened that was lost to history. So he envisions a scroll, a parchment. He envisions the characters on this parchment, some ancient characters, And he translates the vision characters into English. Hmm. So he didn't need the physical parchment to do this. And the reason he needed anything physical then to translate was... We don't know. (laughs) All righty. This early experience seeking revelation that expanded the text of a Bible passage was an important precedent. A precedent to what? <laughs> I don't. About a year later, during the summer of 1830, Joseph and Oliver received by revelation an account of a vision of Moses not found in the Old Testament. So another revelation of some lost scripture. This revelation marked the beginning of Joseph Smith's efforts to prepare an inspired revision or translation of the Bible. Incidentally, that vision of Moses not found in the Old Testament became the Book of Moses in the Pearl of Great Price. 
For the next three years, Joseph continued work on his, quote, new translation of the Bible, considering the project a, quote, branch of his calling as a prophet of God. Translation is used very loosely here because there was no translating of one language into another. Unlike the visions he saw of parchments with characters on them, there was no vision of parchments with characters. There was no actual translation of languages here. Joseph Smith did not employ Hebrew and Greek sources, lexicons, or a knowledge of biblical languages to render a New English text. Rather, he used a copy of the King James Bible as the starting point for his translation, dictating inspired changes and additions to scribes who recorded them first on paper and later as notes in the margins of the Bible itself. His revisions fall into several categories. His early work of the translation resulted in long-revealed passages that Joseph dictated to his scribes, much as he did when receiving revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants. These passages sometimes dramatically expanded the biblical text. The best-known example of this type of revision is found today in the book of Moses and the Pearl Great Price. We talked about that. Joseph Smith also made many smaller changes that improved, this is going to crack you up, Dave, grammar. (laughs) Grammar. (laughs) Because grammar boy, who couldn't speak a correct English sentence or write one especially, was going to do grammar changes modernized language, corrected points of doctrine, or alleviated inconsistencies. Fuck. Alleviated. (laughs) What a joke. Yeah, no kidding, man. As he worked on these changes, he appears in many instances to have consulted respected commentaries by biblical (laughs) scholars. (laughs) Get this. Studying them out in his mind as part of the revelatory process. I took some LSD and did that once. That, oh, my yeah. God. Man. Okay, hey, I get it. Here's this respected scholar who actually knows something about the Bible. I'm going to take his stuff and say it's revelation and tweak it a little bit. What? Joseph proceeded from Genesis 1 through the Old Testament until Revelation in 1831 directed him to advance to the New Testament. Hey, take a break from the Old Testament, dude jump over to the New Testament. Once finished with the New Testament, Joseph picked up where he left off in Genesis and completed his work on the Old Testament by July 1833. Joseph briefly considered translating the Apocrypha, a selection of books accepted as scripture by Catholic and Orthodox Christians, but rejected by many Protestants. Did God let him do it? Well, a revelation directed Joseph not to translate apocryphal writings, even though such writings contained, quote, Many things that are true, unquote. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Joseph Smith's work on the Bible revision led to several revelations now contained in the Doctrine and Covenants. Perhaps the most dramatic of these occurred when Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, Rigger, wondered how to interpret John 5.29, a passage mentioning the resurrection of the dead. And we're blessed... (laughs) I just love the phrasing here, guys. We're we're blessed with a revelatory vision of the degrees of glory in the afterlife. (laughs) They were blessed with that. Okay. Several similar episodes occurred during the process of revising the Bible, prompting revelations regarding Matthew 13, 1 Corinthians 7, and the book of Revelation. We're getting to the end here. After Joseph Smith's death, this is the interesting part to me, The Bible translation manuscripts remained with his wife, Emma, until she gave them to her son, Joseph Smith III. If you recall, Joseph Smith III led the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Reorganized Church, which is now known as the Community of Christ, by the way, published Joseph's revisions in 1867 under the title, The Holy Scriptures Translated and Corrected by the Spirit of Revelation. Quickly after that, the volume quickly became known, well, I said quickly twice, became known as the Inspired Version of the Bible. You guys may have heard of it called that. Brigham Young, then president of the church, expressed skepticism of the accuracy of the Inspired Version. Having not had the chance to review the manuscript sources himself, you know, because he was a seer, Despite possessing a handwritten copy of some revision manuscripts, the church, under President Young's direction and thereafter, did not publish an edition. So we're not going to publish it, but what will we do? Well, this is the last paragraph. During the 1960s, our LDS scholar, Richard P. Howard, and LDS scholar, Robert J. Matthews, 
each studied the manuscripts to authenticate the published editions using the original texts. The reorganized church made manuscripts available and granted the LDS church permission to publish excerpts as footnotes and endnotes in the 1979 LDS edition of the Bible. I actually remember that event. Continued research from this collaboration led to the publication of the complete Bible revision manuscripts in 2004, and then again, most recently, as part of the Joseph Smith Papers. So lots of stuff. Joseph Smith Papers has digital copies of all this thing. So, however, since the LDS Church still doesn't have actual legal ownership of the documents, they have never actually published their own, quote, inspired version of the Bible, but... They basically have it in the footnotes or in the Joseph Smith translation in the back. So it's published mm-hmm. and taught as true, but not incorporated into the verses themselves, which right. is kind of odd, but that's the background on this. Yeah, the JST has been treated over the years similarly to, I would say, the facsimiles in the Book of Abraham. We know they're there. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot said about it. Mm-hmm. And it would depend on the teacher teaching a particular lesson, how often they might reference them. So as you're reading the scriptures, you have a superscript letter that leads you down to the footnotes, and it will say JST, and then italicized are the words that were either added or changed. And if it's more than seven words, it's in the back of the Bible, excerpts too lengthy for inclusion in footnotes, which is a very interesting thing to take the time to look at. Let's set the foundation of this with the teaching of the church itself. We're going to turn to the Articles of Faith. This is at the very back of the Pearl of Great Price. Mm -hmm. Article of Faith number eight. We believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. We also believe the Book of Mormon to be the word of God. Notice no qualifier there Mm -mm. for the Book of Mormon. Only the Bible possibly is not translated correctly. So we're going to fix that. And uh, knowing that he was going to pursue such a path, we turn to 1 Nephi 13 and 28. Wherefore, and this this is Nephi again, seeing a vision of the future. Wherefore thou seest that after the book, that's the, the Bible, hath been brought forth for the hands of the great and abominable church, mm. that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. So Joseph placed that in there knowing that he was going to be the one to restore these plain and precious things. So now let's go to what Michael mentioned, the book of Moses, the beginning of the Pearl of Great Price, which is supposed to come before Genesis chapter Mm 1. Moses 1 and 41. In a day when the children of men shall esteem my words as naught, and take many of them from the book which thou shalt write, behold, I will raise up another like unto thee, like unto thee, Moses, And they shall be had among the children of men, among as many as shall believe. So here is Joseph Smith basically writing himself into the Bible. So I should mention at the outset here, there's at least three things that the man is doing with this so-called translation, none of which was translating anything. He he changes words, which change the meaning of the verse. Mm -hmm. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. Okay. But in addition to that, it can change the doctrinal value of the verse. So what I would call it is Mormonizing the the Bible. And I'm going to get a few examples here in a second of how he took a verse that meant one thing, changed it around to agree with Mormon doctrine which is found nowhere else in Christianity. Mm. And then thirdly, again, he just fabricates entire passages, long passages. The greatest example being at the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 50 ends in verse 26, and it goes on and on and on in the JST, another place where Joseph Smith adds himself into the Bible. It's, It's talking about Joseph of Egypt And this Joseph, your namesake, will be raised up in the latter days and 
shall be the name of his father as well. So Joseph, Joseph of Egypt, Joseph yeah. Smith, Sr., Joseph Smith, Jr. And wow, how mm. convenient and how heretical to especially good Bible thumping Christians <laughs> that he would do something like that. Right let himself. me <laughs> let me give you a, a couple of examples here of how much things were changed. Let's look at John chapter one, verse one, very well known mm -hmm. among Christians. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Look what Joseph does to that verse. In the beginning was the gospel preached through the son and the gospel was the word and the word was with the son and the son was with God. <laughs> and the son was of God. Wow. All right. That's quite the yeah. change. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty big change. Let's go to a chapter now that we have discussed before, a chapter on the resurrection. On our podcast, The Grateful Dead, we talked about the resurrection. There's another part of this chapter that's we actually quoted it. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. So what's being pointed out here by Paul is that your physical bodies are different than the bodies out in the heavens, mm -hmm. the celestial bodies. Mm -hmm. Therefore, in the resurrection, you're going to need a different body than this corruptible, fleshy, mm -hmm. blood and bone body to be able to live in a resurrected state. Very simple. Okay, look what good old addendum boy does to that verse. Also, celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial and bodies telestial. Uh-oh, A third completely one. made up word. But the glory of the celestial one, terrestrial, another, yeah, telestial. So this is now going to agree with his forthcoming doctrine of three degrees of glory in heaven. You see where he's going with this? Mm. There's one more in the New Testament that it's really ah, uh, I, I gotta I gotta read it. Hebrews 7, verse 3. We're talking about the king of Salem. His name was Melchizedek. And he okay, well, I should read oh, the Joseph end of adds a lot verse, to this. The verse 2. Yeah. He's the king of righteousness the king of Salem, the king of peace, without father, this is verse three now, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the son of God, abideth a priest continually. So clearly this is talking about Melchizedek. Yeah, okay? kind of almost in a deified way. Like he's, he's blessed with almost like John the Beloved, right? But John the Beloved, I don't think they ever said he wasn't born of a mother or a father. <laughs> but uh, right, yeah, right. It, it almost uh, deifies him like a demigod. Yeah. So Hebrews in the JST, and I got to go to the back to get this one because it's, it's, it's a lot lengthy. He weighs it's adds, a whole, yeah. Yeah, it's a whole verse. Yeah. For this Melchizedek was ordained a priest after the order of the Son of God, which order, not the man, mm -hmm. the order was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days or end of life. And all those who are ordained unto this priesthood, get this, are made like unto the Son of God, abiding a priest forever. So here's a little taste of the doctrine that, through this Melchizedek priesthood, we can become gods ourselves. Yeah, and, and others have pointed out, church authorities with a small a, <laughs> I don't think they earn a big a when it's no. all made up. They have pointed out that's so important because he's talking about, so if you think about the Aaronic priesthood in the Old Testament and that it was handed down through lineage— through the seed of Aaron, right? Only that lineage could hold it and be Aaronic priests. He's pointing out here that that's not true with the Melchizedek priesthood, that it is not tied to a lineage. So he equates, as you pointed out, David, the priesthood is what's being talked about 
with no father, no son, no lineage that it's held to. It's given to whoever worthy, basically, and it's this separate priesthood. Never mind the fact that Joseph would clearly state later in the School of the Prophets that they're really the same priesthood. So, yeah. so you you yeah. have it both ways all the time, and it conflicts with itself, like many teachings. But anyway, now, I, yeah, that's very good. I mean, it's uh, some of these things where a word is changed here and there; it doesn't change the meaning of the verse that Not a much. Whole lot. Yeah. So, so changing the meaning of the verse is one thing, but to to completely change it to to match Mormon doctrine yeah, is to just add doctrine yeah exactly heretical yeah and there's one more yeah. that and and boy does he set himself up on this and there's a a whole podcast worth of examples of this going on so we know what Joseph what his works include mm -hmm. he brought forth the book of mormon from his pure imagination and several other sources which we've named mm -hmm. he brought forth the doctrine and covenants he brought forth the Pearl of Great Price and that this translation of the Bible. But one of the things that he forgot to do <laughs> was check the changes that he was making. So in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, verse 23, And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Well, Joseph changed the changes this to you never knew me he does the same thing flips it in in matthew again twenty five twelve, the parable of the 10 virgins when they come to the door he says instead of i never knew you you never knew me putting it on the person instead of on god mm -hmm. it's your fault that you don't know me that's very mormon it's very mormon -like. concept yeah right and that ties in to third nephi fourteen twenty three. A lifted version of the Sermon on the Mount, supposedly given by Jesus in the New World <laughs> at the temple in Bountiful. After all the destruction, he comes in and gives the Sermon on the Mount with a few changes. Yeah. But Joseph forgets to change the King James Version, uh, the language, oh. in Third Nephi. Third Nephi is worded exactly like <laughs> the New Testament, <laughs> and yet the inspired version changes the word. So, what's up with that? That yeah, so is... in the so to be clear in the Book of Mormon, when Jesus is talking to the Nephites, he says, "I never knew you." He doesn't switch it, right? Uh, as Joseph, quote unquote, just like the, yeah, yes, right. So, yeah. whoops, whoopsie daisy, forgot to go back, and and yeah, it's just and it's just there. The church. All of the changes made to the Book of Mormon, they never changed any of that. And there's a list that goes on and on of mistakes and problems in the Bible mm -hmm. that were transferred over to the Book of Mormon, including long passages in Second Nephi from the book of Isaiah, of which I'm going to read one more verse here. Isaiah 29, 11. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book, which is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, Duh, I'm not learned. <laughs> well, go down to the footnotes, and it says a couple different things there. But the interesting one is JSH, Joseph Smith History. Chapter 163 to 65, where Joseph talks about this incident where he takes the symbols from the Book of Mormon, mm -hmm. some of the script, to Anthon Lund. And he says, I can't read this. I can't read a sealed book. And whatever. And so, again, he just lifts things and makes it match his own personal history and those things which he himself is going to teach as doctrine. Yeah, that it's Joseph Smith doctrine. It's not there's no other source for it. Joseph Smith. No. And guys, when you put this and you you alluded to this a little bit, David, as far as the timing of all of this, when you put this in a historical perspective, this three years of time when he does this quote unquote translation of the Bible, there are still elements within the membership who are challenging the idea that Joseph is really a prophet, that he's really a seer 
that he can really do these things. That's what the entire thrust of the Book of Abraham translation and quotes was about, right? Is that I'm going to prove to these guys that I'm really a prophet and a seer and I can translate these things and God is giving me a gift because that would support the idea that I've been selling them that I had these ancient records that I translated into the Book of Mormon even though there's no evidence which is one of the issues that the people were having well where are those plates right surely God would allow us to at least see them under a cage of glass or something right no no nope. an angel took them away oh <laughs> yeah my dog that's ate my convenient homework. <laughs> yeah because you might right. lose them yeah i mean the old dog or they'll get my... they'll get yeah. scratched right. or destroyed or exactly. some shit so. so so hey this proves it right and here's another chance here's another window of opportunity where i can just see him and oliver sitting down joseph who knows maybe it was oliver's idea right joseph this is it <laughs> You know, translate this and then and and oh, and over here we can say that you know God said that a Joseph would rise up and blah. blah. I mean, it's just yeah. so obvious, man. I mean, it. it and then these little a self fulfilled prophecy. Oh my it, god, it, yeah, all that yeah. is, yeah. yeah. And these little so, tidbits, like you pointed out, where oops, I corrected yeah, the error oh, here shit. in the Bible, but I left it in the Book of Mormon. Damn it. <laughs> You know, <laughs> damn it. Yeah, he had too many things going at one time. I want to point out the fact that since Joseph Smith and his pretentious creation of texts and pretentious translation of anything whatsoever, there have been no other prophets since then who have even pretended. That's the only difference. He lied about it. Mm -hmm. The rest haven't even pretended that they have translated any texts. Mm -hmm whatsoever and i i'm gonna cheat and go ahead back to for your information for one statement that i thought of 1929 our good friend bh roberts yes. is added again i gotta read this because it just fits the subject here perfectly september 22nd 1929 senior 70s president and assistant church historian bh roberts tells congregation in the Salt Lake Tabernacle that, quote, the Latter-day Saints are conscious of receding from that zenith of early Mormonism in that they are no longer flooded with revelation. Oh! <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Whoops! How about, how about not even a fucking trickle or oh, man. A, a drop? There's yeah. nothing. Why call yourself a seer? Because that only refers to translations of, of texts. Many people call himself a prophet. David Koresh, I mean, yeah, on and right, on and right. on, say that they can see the future and they speak about it before it happens. A revelator, um, you know, what does that really mean? But a seer translates records. None of that is going on in no, the church. No, we've talked about these windows of opportunity that have been missed, right? These windows of yeah. opportunity... Joseph essentially created his own windows of opportunity. He created his own, you know, ideas on how to kind of, quote-unquote, authenticate himself as a prophet with things that we've mentioned, like the Book of Abraham, that whole fiasco with the scrolls, and damn it, they found out how to translate Egyptian, and now I've been proved <laughs> as a fraud. Of course, that happened after his death. I mean, people were skeptical during his life, but it does it wasn't really clear that it was an absolute irrefutable fraud until you know later but and then this window that he took advantage of for these 3 years this bible quote unquote translation project but you fast forward it we've talked about this before you know to the whole hoffman thing wasn't that in the 80s and i could have looked yeah. this up but yeah, I think i'm so. just thinking yeah. of it again right perfect opportunity and we've talked about this this window of opportunity, if you really want to make something matter about what you are asking the members to do every conference, where they raise their hand and they say, we sustain the 15 brethren as prophets, seers, and revelators, and they will not let those three words go, right? No, <laughs> so never. here's a window. Hoffman brings us these quote-unquote ancient documents— we are seers. We can tell. Not only that, 
if anybody has the spirit of discernment, if bishops are supposed to have that, whatever, we certainly do, right? As the fucking leaders of the church, right? So God's going to inspire us. He will prompt us. We will be able to see as a seer whether these things are legitimate or not. And of course, we know the Hoffman story that he basically fooled the prophets. <laughs> How do you fool a prophet of God, right? That's supposed to be one of the benefits of being a prophet of God. You can't be fooled by men, right? So perfect window, thrown away, proven again, you guys are full of shit. And, and this was Joseph taking advantage of similar windows. Of course, back then, I really think like the ability, uh, the forensic technology, right, the dating of inks and things, it just wasn't as advanced, certainly, as it is or as it was in the 80s and certainly now, right? And so it would have been way harder back in Joseph's day to prove a quote-unquote Hoffman document was fraudulent, right? You'd have to wait till later when that forensic science was developed. But it existed in the 80s, of course, and so these things were studied and found to be fraud, you know? So it's like, where was the prophet, seer, and revelator? And the church does a great job, I guess, because, I mean, I'd have to look back at those news bits of the time, but how do you just smooth that over? I don't even remember how they smoothed it over. I, I, they must have just well, not one of the about one it. of the chief things they employ is uh, they just ignore it and it's not ever talked about. Yeah, and with with time, it'll just go away. Hopefully, mm. we'll just don't anybody bring it up. Don't don't say a word about it, and hopefully, it'll just kind of disappear. Fade away. You know? Yeah. So I was thinking about the fact. Uh, I already mentioned it, I guess, that this is where Joseph introduced a a lot of these really weird Mormon doctrines Mm. and theology was in, for instance, the book of Moses with all the shit about the heavens, the book of Abraham with all this really, really crazy shit about what's going on out in the heavens. Oh, yeah. It's like, hey, since I'm just making this shit up, I can talk about and make up anything I want. And so my point is, look what he did with that. Look where he went. Say, hey, you got an opportunity here that we're going to just create a text that doesn't exist. What do you want to talk about? So it gives you a, a little peek into his mind yeah. and what, what kind of things were going on in his head. I spent hours going over some of that stuff in Abraham and, oh, and so a little I. bit in Mo. Yeah. I was trying to figure it out. What's this cliphloesis shit? You know, <laughs> that sounds so cool. What is that? It's a fucking bunch of gibberish. Yeah. Made yeah, up. It doesn't shit. even apply. It's supposed to be Egyptian and it doesn't even equate. Yeah. He was reusing yeah. that pony that he had born from the book of Abraham thing where, Hey, since I'm the only one on the earth who can translate Egyptian, I'm going to make up more Egyptian in this book, right? I mean, for fuck's sake. Yeah, it's crazy. You and I, David, used to talk for. We had our own philosophies Hours. about, well, if Joseph said this, if, if God said this about the planets, then that means the planet on which God lives. Blah. I mean, we went to town, right, with that shit. Oh, yeah. We're like, wow. You know, all, a lot of members probably don't go there. Fiction. Oh, it's all, all- fiction. Yeah, it's, it's science all fiction. fiction. So, yeah. so if I sit down today, you know, after we're done here and I just write a fictional novel, but I put on the cover, Holy Scripture, mm-hmm. that's it. That's it. We're good, right? <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. you know, and go yeah. around and say, hey, the plan of salvation is in here, uh-huh. except for the shit I forgot that I left out. Sorry. Yeah, and that whole temple work thing, that'll come later. That's really not part of the fullness of the gospel. <laughs> oh wait yeah, a minute it, let's adjust laughable. let's adjust what the word fullness means <laughs> we have this so list. We're, not, we're not helping any active members uh, talking like this because they will never entertain these possibilities some of you who are listening are possibly for the first time considering some of these problems mm. And now with a podcast like this and your your own further personal study, 
you might be closer to making a decision about what the hell's going on here. Mm. Your active TBMs, first of all, never going to listen to a podcast like this, but unfortunately, they will not even consider the possibility that this is not from God. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. It's, and there's it's always, unfortunate. Uh, it's it unfortunate. is unfortunate. There's always that fallback of confirmation bias where, look, the reason that we can't understand a lot of these things, including the apparent contradictions, the apparent errors, right, the apparent whatever, is because it's from God. And we don't always understand the things of God. And so we just need to have faith we need to trust that this is God's work and God's message, and we're not going to understand it all. Hey, one day we will. One day we'll get it, and we'll realize how all these criticisms were wrong. And it's just this warm, fuzzy blanket of confirmation. Yeah. Us, right? You know, it's, I'm thinking about that verse. I think it's Isaiah. For my ways are not your ways, and my thought not mm -hmm. your thoughts. And I thought, well, well hang on. We're your kids, supposedly. <laughs> We came out of you. We are supposed to become like you. And my ways are not your ways. Yeah. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. So what the fuck? Why do I even want a relationship with you then? You're just off doing your own thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, it's one of the many contradictions, right, that you're taught. Weak excuse yeah. to just make shit go away, you know. Well, these are the mysteries. That's another favorite word oh. these are mysteries mm -hmm. that the feeble mind of man cannot comprehend perhaps in the next life yeah fuck. don't worry about the fuss the f-u-s the fucked up shit right <laughs> <laughs> because that's just a mystery all the you know we need to do an episode bro on all the definitions of words that the church it, changes it's counted <laughs> as a good thing think about that yeah. mystery is used as a positive kind of like the way onumnut <laughs> said that we're lucky to have several versions of the first vision that's a good thing what the fuck it's good that there's mysteries otherwise we wouldn't keep searching <laughs> my god yeah it is really funny just changing the meaning of words you know to, to yeah we, we could do a, a podcast on that in fact yeah. the, this one dude that did a really good podcast on the jst and he's a bible thumping christian mm. seems like a great guy actually you know very careful not to try to offend anybody and all that but he has a podcast on mormonese mm. we, we thought we would bring you know have a podcast on strange language used in the Mormon church. And he has one. I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. And I thought, ah, That'd be this, fun. This, could, this could be fun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, we'll wrap it up with that fun little tidbit and say again, happy father's day to all you fathers out there. And we will look forward to chatting with you guys again next week. And bro, any final words on just twisting scripture or just scripture twisting? I'm going to go have a smoke and a pond cake. By the way, that's from, what is that, Goldmember or whatever? Oh, yeah, that's right. Stupid-ass movie where he says, Yo, Faja. He calls him his Faja. Uh, he's, and then he's sitting there. And, Do you want a smoke and a pond cake? I don't know why. <laughs> I'm a silly person. I find uh, shit like that pretty damn uh, funny. Yeah. It's just, so happy Father's Day. Hold your kids at gunpoint and make them give you presents, whatever you need to do. You know. Thanks for joining us again, guys, and we'll catch up with you later. Adios.